There we go. Well, our, our lesson this evening really takes me back to another time in my working years when I was a quality manager, believe that or not. Uh, I led a team that developed and oversaw the process for AT&T's right-of-way acquisition. Uh, and it was an interesting time. In quality management, a system or process is defined or established if none, one doesn't exist. And we work to understand, to adhere to, and to perfect that process. So what's the advantage then of having an understanding and working within a process? Anybody want to try to answer that? What's the advantage of having a process, understanding, working within it? It's repeatable. Repeatable. Repeatable, okay. If you do the same thing over and over again, you get, hopefully get the same result. If you got a good process, you get a good result. You improve the process, you get a better result. Everybody understands this and works within it. They all work together to, uh, to accomplish the goal that the process produces. Here, I'm giving all the answers. Y'all got any more? <laughs> well, salvation has a process. And let's describe for a few minutes how that process works. Of course, this is God's process. This is a perfect process, not like the one I had to work with where we were constantly tweaking it and changing it and improving it. God's got a process. Uh, the first step in the, in the uh, salvation process is we hear the call, the gospel call. First thing that happens is we get a call from God by the Holy Spirit through somebody speaking the word. Or, I appreciate the, the Gideon so much because so many people have been led to Christ just reading the word. And that, that initiates a, go, a, gospel, a gospel call. So the first thing that happens, we get a gospel call. Then after the gospel call is received, what happens next? <coughs> we answer, but something happens with, within us. Regeneration. Um, we're born again, as they say. We're regenerated. We're born again. I didn't ever know that big word, uh, regenera regeneration, until recent years. I always thought we were born again. Uh, but, but that's what it is. Regenerated, born again. And this, as we've learned uh, a couple of weeks ago, this is a work of God. It's nothing we do. Nothing we earn. We are generated by the Holy Spirit. And then after we're generated almost at the same time, almost simultaneously when generation happens, what happens to us? Conversion. Conversion. Uh, at the time we, we're regenerated, we experience conversion. Uh, and this happens through faith and repentance. This is how we must respond if we truly have experienced regeneration and, and, and uh, go through conversion. And then finally, as we talked about last week, the next step in the process is last week's lesson. Justification and then we also adoption kind of together. 
Uh, it's bestowed on us as believers. Here again, nothing we deserve. God's grace, God's love. We, we are, are justified. What, what does that mean to be justified? Well, that's a legal term, remember? Made right. Declared righteous. We're declared righteous. We're made right. Um, innocent. Uh, and then, as a result of that, the next thing that happens, uh, uh, along with, with uh, justification, is adoption. Uh, I was really uh, taken last week, I guess I kind of knew it, but I forgot it, uh, about adoption back in, in biblical times, how strong that was, that, uh, you know, you could, you could disown your, your uh, natural kids, but those kids that are adopted, you, you can't get rid of them if you wanted to. Uh, they they are, are uh, they are linked to you forever, and and that's the that's the uh, uh, picture of God adopting us. After we've gone through the salvation process, we become His children. He is adopted. We are part of God's family. Um, these events all occur immediately at the beginning of the salvation process are at the commencement of our Christian lives. Well, tonight we're going to focus on how we apply our redemption, how this is forward-moving, ever-changing, constantly improving, cooperative effort between us and the Holy Spirit, with each playing different roles. This part of the process of redemption is called sanctification. Anybody memorize the, uh, or know, can you put your finger on the, the definition of sanctification? What is it? What is sanctification? It says it's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin, like Christ in our actual lives. All right. Got it? First, it's a progressive effort. All right. And it is a cooperative activity between us and God. This causes us to be more and more like Jesus in our everyday earthly lives. So how you doing? Anybody reached the goal of being like Jesus yet? Not quite. quite. You know, I've actually met a few Christians as I thought about this and pondered over that question. I, I probably met a few, very few. I'm thinking maybe one or two in my lifetime that I thought were close. They were just dear saints. You know, they're just just some of the holiest uh, uh, people I've ever met, sweet people. Uh, so it gives us hope. You know, you can see nobody's there, but you can see some folks that are that are a lot closer. Uh, you know, we don't really fully experience full sanctification until Christ returns. For now, we are but a work in progress with an inspired goal. You know, I've always said and understood that all Christians were saved for a purpose. Organizations put in a lot of time, spend a lot of money and effort determining their purpose. They've spent a great deal of time and energy in realizing this goal and have established 
communicated purposes are mission statements for their employees and their customers. Um, Rick Warren authored two great books. One of them was The Purpose Driven uh, Life, and the other was The Purpose Driven Church. He may have authored more than those, but those are the two I read. Uh, and, and they were excellent books. I really appreciated what he had to say in those writings. Uh, what is the purpose of our church? What is the purpose of our church? Okay. But now we got a purpose statement or a mission statement, and we're trying over and over and over to get our, our folks to understand it and appreciate it and to, to live it. Uh, about, what, almost two years ago now that the Elders locked ourselves in our room, and, and we really uh, prayed and poured over uh, what our church was all about and what God would have us do, and we came up with this little phrase that we think really defines who we are and what we, are, what we ought to be doing, uh, what is our purpose, what is our mission, so to speak, and you're starting to see that now more and more on the, uh, our correspondence and on, on different things, it, it's, it describes our purpose. We exist for the purpose, three things, one, to know, to worship, and to share Jesus. That's our purpose. That's what we feel is the unique purpose of Crab Apple First Baptist Church. That's what we're about. That's what we strive to do to know Jesus, and that's what we're about tonight. We're, we're, we're striving more and more to know who he is, and by knowing him, we're led to worship him because he is worthy of our worship and praise. And then through our knowing him and worshiping him, we are led to share him with others because we want them to know the joy that we've experienced in being followers of Jesus. Okay, then what is the purpose then for every Christian? What's the general purpose for every Christian? Why do we exist? Why did God make us? To glorify God. We exist to glorify God and more specifically, as we read through the whole Bible and get into the Old Testament and learn about Jesus, we glorify God by growing in the likeness of his son, Jesus. And that's as close as we can get to, 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 being, uh, to being what God called us to be. Well, this sounds like sanctification to me. Uh, there's a, a chart in, in, in the book, and I was going to write all this down, but I'm, I'm a bad writer and a slow writer, so we'll just talk about it a minute. Uh, we've, we've already been justified. We've already been made acceptable before God. We've already been declared righteous in his eyes. And now we're, we're looking at being justified. <laughs> so what's the difference between justification and, and sanctification? Y'all look to that chart, you can cheat and give me the answers. <laughs> What's the difference then between justification and sanctification? 
Sanctification addresses what? Our, our legal standing, he says. Where sanctification is an internal condition. Justification happens one time. We don't have to get re-justified every day. When, when we come to Christ, we are justified. We are justified and accepted as righteous in God's eyes. So it's a, it's a one-time thing. Sanctification, it's a lifetime work. It's a continuous process throughout our lives, is it not? Justification, <coughs> there's nothing we do, nothing we earn. It is entirely God's work. Whereas sanctification, we get to cooperate with God in growing and learning and developing and becoming more in the likeness of Jesus. Justification declares that we are perfect in this life. Where sanctification, we recognize that we're not perfect, uh, at least spiritually, and we are working toward perfection. Justification is the same for all Christians. Every, every one of us are justified in God's sight. But sanctification, some are more sanctified than others because they may be working at it a little longer. Not that they're more worthy or anything, but some of them, some of us may be, be working harder to, to learn and to grow and to practice uh, in our lives uh, the attributes of Jesus. So that's the main differences between justification and sanctification. But unlike justification, uh, sanctification is a continuing process throughout the Christian life. In the ordinary course of a Christian's life, it will require a continual effort. It is something that the New Testament encourages encourages us to give great effort and attention to. Uh, Grudem says that there are three stages of, of uh, sanctification. First, he says sanctification begins with regeneration. Uh, when we experience regeneration, a definite moral change occurs, uh, and this is in essence the beginning of being born again in that we cannot continue to sin as a habit or as a pattern of life. Who's got 1 John 3, 9? Okay. <coughs> no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. No one born of God not keep sinning. What does this mean? We no longer sin? Oh, if it were true. What do you think? What does it mean? How, how do we reconcile that verse? Habitually. Habitually. Uh, there's a, a power of the new spirit life within us, and it keeps us from yielding to a life of sin. Right? That, it doesn't mean that, that we are perfected and we're not going to sin anymore. It just means that it, it's, a little, it's harder for us to sin. We recognize when we sin. We don't really want to sin. 
but we do we do we do come short God's standard in this life, but not like we did before uh, before we were saved. The moral change in us is the first stage of sanctification, and it actually overlaps from regeneration as a part of God's work in us. Who's got First Corinthians six eleven? such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Acts 20.32 And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Okay, being sanctified means we have been set apart, are consecrated, but we are not fully sanctified as having been made holy and completely free of sin. Our initial step in the process of sanctification requires that we break from the ruling power and from our love of sin so that we are no longer dominated by sin and we no longer love to sin. Let's look at Romans 6.11 and 6.14. It should be together, I think. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Is that both of them important? Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, we have the power to overcome the temptations and the enticements of sin. With Christ as our Lord and Master, sin will no longer have control over our lives. We may sin. But we don't have sinful lives. We, we are not evil people. Uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know, we know verses like that in the Bible. All that we are perfect. And that's what, that's what sanctification is all about. It's, it's, a, it's a process. It's a growth. Uh, the longer we live, the more like Christ we should become. If we're really working at our sanctification. But with Christ as our Lord and Master, sin no longer should have control over, over our lives. In practical, practical terms, we must affirm two things to be true. First, we will never be able to say we are completely free of sin this side of heaven. However, as a Christian, we should never say that sin has defeated us that we are unable to control or to break a particular bad habit or just to say, well, you know, I am who I am. We can't say that because to, this is to admit defeat and to deny the truth of the scripture that tells us that sin has no control over us. So this initial break with sin, uh, we experience 
with regeneration requires us to reorient our life's desires and priorities so that we no longer have a dominant love for sin. Paul correctly describes all of his readers as former slaves to sin. But he says that we are enslaved no longer. Romans 6, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves in sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This drastic change of our primary love and, and joy uh, and, and our desires happens at the beginning of, of sanctification. Next we learn that sanctification increases throughout life. Even though the New Testament speaks about sanctification beginning with justification, it also sees sanctification as a process that continues on throughout the Christian life. Although Paul tells his readers that they have been set free from sin and that they are dead to sin and alive to God, he still recognizes that sin still remains in their lives, so he tells them not to yield to it or to let it have reign over them. Romans 6, 12, uh, through thir- 6, 12 and 13. Is that so? I have it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 6, 19. Okay. I put this in human terms, because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. All right, then, throughout the Christian life, we are progressively becoming more and more like Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hmm. Philippians 3.13-14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here that he is not yet perfect, but he is pressing on to achieve all of the purposes for which Christ has saved him. You know, much of the New Testament deals with the instruction of new believers in various churches on how they are to grow in the likeness of Christ. All of the moral teachings and the commands in the New Testament apply here because they encourage and they charge believers in one aspect or another uh, for the grace, for the greater sanctification of their lives. 
Finally, we see that sanctification is completed at death for our souls. When we die, our souls become sanctified. And then when Christ returns and our bodies are resurrected, then our bodies finally become sanctified, our new bodies. Even though we have become, even though we have become a Christian, sin still remains in our heart. When we read Romans 6, 12 through 13, that we've already read, now let's look at uh, 1 John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 8. <coughs> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So our sanctification will never be completed in this life. But once we come into the presence of the Lord, our souls will be set free from our indwelling sin. Our souls will then be made perfect without sin. Who has Hebrews 12, 23? This is necessary in order to enter into the presence of God and the heavenly city. Revelations 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So when our souls go to heaven, they're fully sanctified because nothing sinful in our souls, nothing impure would be acceptable in God's presence. So when we die, our souls go to heaven and they're sanctified. This is necessary in order to enter the presence of God in the heavenly city, as I said. But we see that sanctification involves the whole person, including our bodies. Second Corinthians uh, seven one, Second Corinthians seven one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. First Thessalonians five twenty three. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must realize that we will not be completely sanctified until we receive our resurrected bodies when Christ returns. Philippians 3.21 Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For us, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And just as we have been born the likeness of earthly men, so shall we bear the likeness of the man <clears throat> in heaven. Okay, I'm going to attempt to draw. And this is going to be an illustration of the process of sanctification and how we can visually appreciate and see how it takes place. First of all, people are <coughs> slaves to sin. Meaning, they're non-Christian. They're not followers of Christ. But when they hear the gospel call, and when when uh, when they repent of their sins and go through the process that, that we discussed earlier uh, of um, the salvation process, the first thing that happens is they experience conversion. Now, they are experienced a Christian and this is um, where they begin growing in Christ. Then one day, they're going to experience death. And when death occurs, they're going to experience perfect holiness. Now, the way this works, if you kind of drew it out here, at conversion, right away, bam, you know, jump start. But they experience a, a, a like a booster shot there out of the gate. They, 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 are, they are now experienced conversion. They began the sanctification. But for the rest of their Christian life, you know, it, it kind of Kind of like that. You know, we have our ups and downs. And, but we're growing. We're getting there. I don't know, personally, I, I, I wish it were my plan, but it's not at God's. I wish it would be, you know, more like this. But it's not. Yeah, that was my next <laughs> Straight I'd be like that. Wouldn't that be great? But no, being... 
that we still live in a fallen world, that we still are surrounded by sin, that we still have sin in our, in our hearts that we're dealing with, and, and we're, we're trying to, you know, to, to grow um, in our sanctification and to become more and more in, in the likeness of Christ. That's kind of how our journey looks like. Um, and then, I didn't share the good news, when we have death, of course, now we're here. That's the rich, that's, that's for our souls. That, that's kind of the process, that's how it happens. You know, prior to conversion, we were slaves to sin. At con, uh, conversion, sanctification begins immediately. Sanctification should increase throughout the Christian life. Sanctification then is made perfect at death. The completion of sanctification happens when we receive our resurrected bodies. Notice that the path of, sanct of sanctification, as I tried to depict there, is not a straight line. We all struggle with our own efforts to become more Christ-like. However, those believers who make little effort, <coughs> who fall under bad teaching, who lack good Christian fellowship, or who do not give priority to prayer and to God's word, may go for many years without demonstrating much progress in their sanctification. This should not be the acceptable norm for the Christian life. In fact, it's highly abnormal. You wouldn't expect somebody to get saved and just stay there. Sanctification is, like I said, is never completed in this life. Some might think that since God has given us commandments such as Matthew 5, 48. Who has that? I do. Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, and, and 2 Corinthians 7, 1, we've already read. When you look at those two verses, then it, it God uh, also gives us the ability to obey them perfectly, some people would think. Well, wait a minute. If that's what if that's what scripture says, then I ought to have the ability to be perfect. I ought to be able to, to, to obey them. Um, they therefore have concluded that it is possible for us to remain uh, and to attain, rather, to attain a state of sinless perfection in this life. Who's got 1 John 3, 6? No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins seen him or knows him. When we look at these verses, you know, head on, and don't take them in the context that they're given, they're, uh, this is referred to as perfectionism. <coughs> but when Jesus commands us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, he is only showing God's absolute moral purity as being the standard for which, we, uh, for which we should aim. The fact that we are unable to meet this standard doesn't mean that it will be lowered. It's kind of the way it is in our society today. You know, we got standards in, uh, in schools and stuff, and 
we can't meet the standards, or they just just continue to lower. Everybody gets a trophy. Uh, that's not the way it is with sanctification. Standards are not lowered. Jesus is who He is. God is who He is, and we we subscribe to and strive for that standard of holiness and purity. Um, here in these texts, he's pointing to a goal which we should strive to reach. But if these verses were, were taken to prove sinless perfection, then they would have to apply to all Christians since they talk about what is true for everyone born of God and knows Christ. Therefore, there is no convincing verses in Scripture that teach that this is possible for anyone to be free of their sin. But there are many passages in the Bible that clearly teach that we cannot be morally perfect in this life. And what it's saying there is that uh, some of those saints that I've known that were near uh, Christ-like, nearly complete in sanctification, I felt like they were, I'm nowhere near that. But if you took these verses literally, we all ought to be there. We all ought to be pure. We all ought to be perfect. And that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that's the goal that we have to strive for. Um, let's listen to the writer of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Who has that? Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we, we prayed it tonight at, uh, at uh, our dinner. Forgive us our debts, or our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive our debtors, or those who transgress us against us, or those who sin against us. When Paul talks about the new power that is given to Christians over sin, He's not saying that there will be no sin in our lives. He is simply saying that sin is not to have control over our lives. Still, we all still carry the sin of Adam. I mean, the world's fallen. It's done. It's a done deal. It can't be fixed and unbroken until, until uh, Christ comes back and, and establishes his reign. Until then, we live in a sinful world. And we are but sinful creatures striving to, 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 to live more Christ-like lives. Look at uh, 1 John 1, 8. Who has that? <coughs> John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Oh, truth hurts sometimes. I was just feeling good about sanctification. Then Paul had to read that to me. Well, um, here John excludes the possibility of anyone being completely free from sin. But once we understand that sanctification will never be completed in this life, we need to exercise wisdom. <coughs> in that way that we apply this truth. 
We cannot use this as an excuse for not uh, striving for holiness. We are to understand that even though sanctification will never be completed in this life, we must still strive to never stop growing in our likeness of Christ. Even as Christians are growing in maturity, there will be times when they are guilty of unconscious or even conscious acts of disobedience to God in their words and deeds. We are not yet perfect, but as Paul said, we are working out our salvation. In quality management, we teach that mistakes are to be minimal. And when a mistake is made, we are to correct it and to learn from it. God will forgive our sins if we but ask him to, and then we should learn from our transgressions. God and man actually cooperate or work together in the process of sanctifications. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he has that. Wherefore, my beloved, <coughs> as you have always been, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation <coughs> with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Well, this is not to say that when we work together that we have equal roles or that we work in the same way. One of the primary ways that God participates in our sanctification as our Heavenly Father, He disciplines us. He causes us to want His will for our lives and to do His will by equipping us and giving us the power to do His will. God the Son's role is to provide us with an example or a model of holiness. But it's, it's specifically God the Holy Spirit who works within us to change us. It is the Holy Spirit that produces within us the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. As we grow in sanctification, we walk by the Spirit, and we are led by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Hmm. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of holiness. And He produces holiness within us. Our roles in sanctification are, are both passive and active. We wait on God to sanctify us, and we strive to obey God, and we take steps that will increase our spiritual maturity. In our passive role, we trust God, and we pray and ask him to sanctify us. We are dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit to grow us. Unfortunately, 
the passive role is sometimes interpreted to mean that we just trust him to work in our lives for his good pleasure. The saying, let go and let God, is misunderstood as to what the Christian life is all about. The attitude, this attitude does not address the part that we are to play in our own sanctification. It is we, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, who must put um, to death our sins and work on our salvation. This requires a lot of effort on our part. God is at work in us, but he demands our involvement to become more like Jesus. There are so many scripture verses that affirm this. Many we have already read, and, and we just really don't have the time tonight to look at all those referenced. So, like I said, as I went through the book, I, I probably did half of them that are in there. There were so many uh, scripture references in, in, this, uh, in this lesson. I would encourage you to go back if you have time and, and uh, read over it and, and read some of those verses. They're, uh, they're so powerful, so meaningful, speaking to, uh, to sanctification. Well, needless to say, we are able... Uh, needless to say, we are to work to continually build up our knowledge and our habits of holiness. There's no shortcuts to our growing in sanctification. We just have to get to work. Do y'all remember the old hymn, Trust and Obey? Whatever happened to old hymns, man? You know, that preached here. Used to preach. Trust and Obey. It's a simple hymn. But what does it mean? What are we saying that's so simple words? Trust and obey. For there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey. But what does it mean to trust and obey? You're growing in Christ's Yeah. We're trusting God. We're putting our faith in him. We're dependent on him. That's the, his part of sanctification. But our part is to obey to get in the Word, to, to, to know Jesus that, that's, that's, in, that's in God's Word, to get intimately uh, knowledgeable of, of who He is and, and to develop uh, a likeness of Him in our lives. Trust and obey. Well, here at Crab Apple First Baptist Church, we're all about spiritual formation. Have you all heard that term, spiritual formation? I know, I know Sam's not going, oh, <laughs> Well, in fact, you may not know it, I'm the elder with the oversight responsibility for adult spiritual formation. Simply defined, spiritual formation refers to the process and practices by which a person may progress in their spiritual or religious life. Progress, grow, mature, Sure sounds like sanctification to me. What are some of the ways that we work to equip the body of believers here at Scrab Apple through what we call spiritual uh, formation, which is really believer sanctification? What are some ways that we do that? What we're doing right now. We study God's Word. We share in it. We fellowship in it. We, we strive to grow, to learn it. 
Uh, one of the best ways that we, we do that is Sunday school. Sunday school. Give a commercial, brother. Uh, you know, Sunday school is so important, so powerful. Uh, that, that's where we get the benefit of, uh, of, of studying and learning and sharing and fellowshipping in God's Word. It's, it's life changing. You know, look back on all the years that you've spent in, uh, in church, either here or somewhere else. How much you've grown uh, spiritually because of Sunday school. If you've been a regular attender of Sunday school from the time you're, 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 you're a child on up until you're, you're a, a senior like many of us are, Sunday school has played a key role in your spiritual formation or your sanctification. What are some other ways? get inspired and sometimes uh, mentored by, by other believers, sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional, just uh, uh, by being, uh, being around with, uh, uh, with God's people. We have Bible studies, which is like Sunday school, the you know, small groups. We have men Bible study meets on Tuesday night. We have some uh, men that meet on Saturday. We have some women's Bible studies that meet on Tuesday. Some of them are meeting right now. So these are ways to grow. Um, grow in our spiritual maturity, to, to grow in our, our spiritual formation, our, our sanctification. Um, right? we, uh, you mentioned the hymns. We sing theologically rich, doctrinally sound songs yeah. as a part of our worship. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I appreciate about Jerry is uh, he demands, uh, as, our, uh, as our senior pastor, lead teaching elder now, uh, he demands that our music be uh, be rich, uh, be be doctrinally sound, be uplifting, uh, and uh, we have we have good solid doctrine in, in our our music here. Of course, I love the old ones. Maybe it's because I'm simple-minded. Trust or obey. That's just easy for me to get. Some of the, uh, the, the the praise choruses, the uh, the words that the choir sings, the music the, that they sing is just. We're just really blessed to have the good music we have in our church. I'm surprised nobody said it here, so I'll say it. Preaching. We sit under the word uh, Sunday morning. We hear good, biblically based, true, honest uh, preaching, revelation from God, from, from, uh, from Jerry. That, that is so powerful and meaningful uh, in our um, uh, spiritual development, spiritual formation. Sanctification. Well, I said earlier that, that sanctification affects the whole per person. It affects our intellect, it affects our knowledge, our emotions, our will, our decision-making, our spirit, and even our physical bodies. God's purpose for our lives is that we be increasingly conformed to the image of his Son. Last verse, scripture verse, is Romans 8, 29. Have it or won't, uh, it's kind of like I remember that little show uh, 
with the real so-and-so stand up. Maybe I show mm -hmm. I, nobody was answering, but I saw these Bibles pages flip. Go ahead, Bob. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to con be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those of us that are, are Christians were he pre-knew, he destined us, predestined us, to be conformed to any good son. So what are some of the motives for us then to be obedient to God in the, Christ, uh, in the Christian life? Well, first off, it is important for us to have a desire to please God, to love him and to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We need to keep a clear conscience before God. We need to have a desire for increased effectiveness in the work of the kingdom. We must have a desire to have others come to Christ through observing our lives. How about that one? We need to have a desire to receive blessings from God on our lives and our ministries. We need to have the fear of the Lord, that is, to deserve, that is the desire to avoid God's displeasure and his discipline on our lives. We need to have the desire to seek greater heavenly rewards. We ought to desire a deeper walk with God, a desire for the angels to glorify God for our obedience, the desire for peace, the desire to do what God commands simply because he, his commands are right and we delight in doing what is right. To end our discussion time together, we need to understand and to accept that sanctification brings great joy to us. The more we grow in the likeness of Christ, the more we will personally experience the joy and the peace that are a part of the fruit of the Spirit, and the more we will identify with the kind of life that we will have in heaven. Another Rick Warren quote that I like is, the purpose of this life is to prepare for heaven. As we grow in conformity to the image of Christ, we will experience more and more of the beauty of his character in our own lives. That's what sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification. Hope you have a greater appreciation and understanding of it now. Let's pray and go. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you again for your love for us and your watch care over us and all the ways you bless us and lift us up. Father, now we just want to glorify you. We want to honor you. We want to praise you through our lives. We ask now that uh, we might strive to, uh, to live a sanctified life, that we might desire more than anything else to grow in the likeness of, our, of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.